It is a WrestleMania special on the Daily Wrestling News Show. Okay, now, from the beginning. This is a special edition of the Daily Wrestling News Show for when I'm on vacation. My name's Ryan Joy, and I am coming to you, not live, but from Minutes to Bell Time Studios on the beautiful treasure coast of the Sunshine State. And I am joined today by the man who chose WrestleMania 18 as his favorite WrestleMania, Welcome to the show, John Smith. Very glad to be here. Very glad to be talking about my favorite WrestleMania with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and you were there live for the for WrestleMania 18, correct? I, I was. It was the first time I've ever been out of the country. It was up in Toronto. Um, you know, it was shortly after 9-11. So my father, who was controlling the whole thing, wouldn't let me fly there. And so I had to take a nine-hour train ride which was brutal, but it was all worth it. Nine hours each way, actually, with a three-hour stop at the border for customs. It was pretty bad. It was almost a full day of travel combined, but definitely worth it. Were you by yourself or were you with others? No, I was with one friend. Um, you know, we were only 18 at the time. It was like I was straight out of high school, never been anywhere by myself before other than like going to Six Flags or something like that, so... It was a fun adventure getting to getting a drink over across the border. <laughs> that was nice. Yes. yes. I went to college uh, about 20 minutes from the Canadian border. So that was the thing, you know, the, the uh, age, age, uh, appropriate age for drinking is different in Canada than it is in the United States. So, well, we have a really fun show. These WrestleMania like um, watchbacks and relooks and stuff are, are, are so much fun to do. Um, we're have we going to start with the WrestleMania question of the day. Then we have trivia. We have a full breakdown of WrestleMania 18. I've got notes and stuff that was said from the day, the records, the attendance, the announcers, the commentators. We're going to break it all down. It's going to be a great time. Um, and at the end, we're going to decide if it holds up against the current standard of wrestling today. So, uh, John Smith, your question of the day is... What is your earliest memory of WrestleMania? Uh, my the earliest memory I have of a live WrestleMania would have to be WrestleMania 10. Um, I never saw anyone before that live just because of my age and because, you know, I wasn't the one paying for the pay-per-views. So, yeah. um, you know, the Iron – no, not the Iron Man match. The um, – what was it? Shawn Michaels versus Diesel. With, no, that was WrestleMania 12. What was WrestleMania? Oh, yeah, it was Lex Luger and yes. Yokozuna, and then it was Brett Nowen at first, and then yes. Brett beat Yoko. Yeah, I mean, the memory's not that good, <laughs> but that's the first one that I remember watching. Yeah, Roddy Piper, special guest referee, Mr. Perfect, special guest referee, Macho Man Randy Savage versus Crush in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Bam Bam and Luna were on that show. Um, yeah, I have a spot for WrestleMania 10 as well. Um, it's one of my favorites. I, I somebody, some guy at at my mother's work taped it, and uh, I had the VHS. Um, you know, she they ordered pay per view, they taped it. I watched that thing over and over and over. So I have a special spot for WrestleMania 10 as well. Um, I mentioned on on a different show that we're going to air that my earliest memory is WrestleMania 4. So I won't go back into it, but I was really a really small kid in. Uh, it was, you know, rented from the video store. So, WrestleMania well, 10 was also the ladder match, right? Razor and Sean. Yeah. <laughs> they were running down all these matches. And I mentioned the false count anywhere match with Savage and Crush, but not the uh, the ladder match between Sean and Razor, which, you know. Hey, I didn't remember it at first either. <laughs> um, all right. So, let's get into uh, trivia. WrestleMania Trivia is brought to you by the Free Body Slam Brigade newsletter. Each week I compile all the week's top wrestling stories, put them in a quick-to-read email that's divided up by company. 4,000 people are reading this newsletter every week. You can join them. The issue comes out every Friday at 11 a.m. It's free. Sign up at bodyslambrigade.com. 
www.thepodcastmaker.com. Are you ready, John, for a trivia? This is going to be fun. I am. I know you've watched the show twice in the last like two days, so uh, you should be good to go, but let's see how you do. Yeah, we'll see. Backstage promo, The Rock talking with Jonathan Coachman. The Rock, of course, has a match with Hulk Hogan on this card, so he's talking to Coach about whether he's training and saying his prayers and, so, and such. The Rock asked Coach to say his prayers. Coach got down on his knees, and I went, my question is, how did the coach address God? What up, G? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What up, G? And then The Rock kicked him out of the uh, the promo segment. Okay. <laughs> Very good. That was what a classic was promo, too. It was. My next question is, how many times did the Hardcore Championship change hands at WrestleMania 18? Oh, wow. Uh, let me see. One, two, three, four, five. Five times, yes. Spike Dudley, Hurricane, Molly Holly, Christian, and Maven. Michael Cole interviewed Booker T in the backstage area. Booker T let us know the topic of his high school thesis. What was that topic? <clears throat> Well, he knows that Booker T's smart because he wears glasses, which is why I have mine on right now. Um, and that will be Einstein's theory of relatives. That's right. <laughs> Einstein's theory of relatives. Very good. In the opening contest, Jim Ross mentioned that Rob Van Dam had educated feet. Where did Rob's right foot and left foot obtain the education? Oh. It's a classic Jim Ross line. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it is, and I'm sure when I when you say it, I'm gonna punch myself in the face. But um, hardcore university, I don't know. <laughs> One went to Harvard, the other went to Yale. <laughs> I don't remember him saying that ever, yeah. really. What was the Undertaker's WrestleMania win loss record after WrestleMania 18? 10 and 0. 10. Yes. 10 and 0. That's what he did after the match. He stood on the apron and he counted on his fingers 1 to 10, and then he jumped off the apron and went to the back or went, went to his motorcycle, that is. Well, all in good fun, you have won the Oscar Award today. Four for five on WrestleMania 18 trivia. Very good, very good. All right. With the with those proceedings out of the way, let's jump into WrestleMania 18. March 7th, 2002, from the Sky Dome in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. WrestleMania returns to the Sky Dome for the first time in 12 years. They were also there for Hogan versus Warrior at WrestleMania 6. Man Saliva opened the show by singing Superstar. We had Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler on commentary, and The Fink was still doing the ring announcing. And Earl Hebner was still a referee in WWE. So, John, the classic support team is in place for this show. Yeah, man. I mean, at that point, I think Lillian was doing most of the Raw and SmackDown stuff, but they would still bring in the Fink for the big stuff. Yep. And, and Lillian was doing backstage interviews during the show. But, yeah. um, but the Fink, hearing his voice, man, makes you feel like a little kid. Um, the WWE announced an attendance record of 68,231. At the time, that was the all-time record for a Canadian pro wrestling event. It beat out WrestleMania 6 record of 64,000 people. It was the fifth overall verifiable attendance record for pro wrestling globally. It was beat out by two shows in North Korea, where there was over 150,000 people in those shows. WrestleMania 3 beat it out in the Pontiac Silverdome with 93,000. SummerSlam 92 in Wembley Stadium is the other one that beat it out. And some say that uh, Antonio Inoki's retirement show had 70,000 people in the Tokyo Dome, but journalists say that it's really not possible. So, um, so fifth overall. So good showing for uh, yeah, one of those. Yes, I was one of those. And I had 68. 1,237 is what they announced on the show. Is it different online? 
it, I must have uh, I must have missed it somewhere. Maybe, yes, maybe, maybe your seven just looks like a one on what you wrote down. Yeah. Well, it, it's uh, I'm not sure either. Either I got it from the news or I got it from the show. You no, guys, I got it straight from the show. Either way, no big deal. I just yeah. wanted to clarify. Yeah. Um, in the Wrestling Observer reader poll, 411 readers gave the show a thumbs up. That was roughly 66%. 14% gave it a thumbs in the middle, and 20 gave the show a thumbs down. So um, that's where it was sitting with kind of fans at the time. Um, and it was, an, it was an 11-match card. So uh, those proceedings out of the way, you ready to go match by match, John? I am. Let's do it. Opening contest, Intercontinental Championship match. Rob Van Dam defeated William Regal to win the Intercontinental Championship in six minutes and 19 seconds. Yeah, well, that was a great start to the pay-per-view, man. You know, second saliva's done with their last quarter of their, their intro music. All of a sudden, one of a kind, and you get RVD coming out. Just some more hardcore rock to because you're already in the mood, and then he's coming out and RVD, and then William Regal comes out, who's the complete opposite of Rob Van Dam, the, the intercontinental champion with his brass knucks in his shorts. What do you have? Like 17 pairs of brass knucks. It makes me wonder what he's really got going on down there if he's got so many so much room for brass knucks. Well, you remember at one point during the match. He like couldn't find the brass knucks in his shorts. <laughs> it was like he spent a little bit of extra time looking. <laughs> what he's got like a kangaroo pouch in there? Yeah, must uh, must be. But it was. I thought it was really nice to see uh, babyface RVD because everything you've seen RVD in the last year or so on Impact, he was kind of a heel. So you didn't get as much five star frog splash. You didn't get rolling thunder. You got all that in this match. Um, RVD would evade. Uh, the brass knuckles, as you mentioned, were the story of the show and the match. And RVD would evade them. Eventually, hit the five star frog splash. Meltzer gave the match two stars um, out of five. So, like you said, great opener. Uh, got that rock music going. We got a title change right off the bat. Yeah, I think uh, two stars is a little low. I mean, if you're comparing it to every match ever, maybe, but for an opening match to a show, it was. Three and a half, four stars. It's what you. It's how you want to get the crowd going. You know. Right. Right. It was good. It was good. Yep. And I think it was placed well. Regal, like you mentioned, you know, he he did great in this match. It's complete contrast to Styles. Um, but then the second contest was for the European Championship, and it was Diamond Dallas Page defending against Christian. Page would win in six minutes three seconds. Um, it was the wrestling debut of Diamond Dallas Page. He was at Skydome at first six. He drove the honky talk man to the ring. Um, the story going in was that DDP had coached Christian away from temper tantrums. Yeah, that didn't work out too well. <laughs> you know, there was a nice little backstage promo Christian did beforehand with Lillian Garcia, where you get to, you get to the from the from the shot of RBD winning to the next shot of just. <laughs> Christian yeah. mocking DDP's big smile. It's even the thumbnail for when you when you're switching from match to match on the the WWE network. You got the st Christian stupid face as one of the thumbnails. I like that. I loved heel Christian. I mean, I can see why Al Carl has him in his top five of all time, but <laughs> not me personally. But um, I mean, the match was fun. It was completely different from the intercontinental title match. It was more of a brawl. It was more of, you know, heel tactics by Christian. And then you get the, the temper tantrum at the end when DDP tells him that it's not a bad thing that he lost, that it's a good thing. <laughs> yes. And he, and he kept himself in check. Meltzer only gave the match one and three quarter stars. He was a little bit critical of this WrestleMania, as you're going to find out. Um, I think, expectations of like Kurt Angle, Shawn Michaels classics were, were there for WrestleMania. And this, this show, a lot of like six, seven minute matches. So he didn't have a lot of that, but, um, but still it was a fine match. It was nice to see DDP. When you go back and look at WrestleMania, you don't expect to see DDP on the, on the card. So um, it was, it was good. The yeah. hardcore championship was our third consecutive championship match. 
uh, on the show. It started off in the ring with Maven versus Goldust, but events would run the whole course of the evening. Uh, and we never really got a definitive Goldust Gold and Maven uh, ending, so... Yeah, it was it was pretty decent for as long as it lasted. You know, he had the gold garbage can, the nice gold shovel. But then who comes out? Spike Dudley gets the roll up pin on Maven and books it with the with the hardcore title with uh Crash Holly chasing him from behind and eventually Goldust would follow also. And I'm going to let's go ahead and run through the the hardcore championship uh events of the evening here. So Spike Dudley's in the back. Um He's getting attacked from all sides. Al Snow is trying to hit him with a golf cart, which uh, flashback to twenty to twenty or flash forward to twenty twenty. You know, you got Matt Hardy chasing down Sammy Guevara on a timeline. Uh, similar <laughs> similar circumstances here, but Al Snow doesn't succeed. But the Hurricane swings in and he kicks Spike Dudley to the ground, and he wins the Hardcore Championship. So, yeah, the Al Snow, the Al Snow situation was fun, man. Him driving into the boxes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so now the Hurricane's champion, and he's sneaking around, you know, as Hurricane does around the building, trying to keep away. He ends up in the Godfather's dressing room, and the host was <laughs> getting ready and you know comparing features and whatnot. So uh, that was a little bit awkward for the Hurricane, but he would eventually meet up with Molly Holly. Who hit him with a frying pan, <laughs> then stole the stole the hardcore championship from him. So Mighty Molly is a champion at WrestleMania here. Yeah, and then after that, she's running down the hallway, and she's about to go through a door, and the top half of the door just swings closed, and she gets basically clotheslined by the door. And behind that door was Christian, who had just failed to take the European title, but now he's the hardcore champion. So things are looking up for Christian. Uh, he's trying to make his getaway and leave the building with the hardcore championship. He's got a car ready, but there's Maven. And he rolls up Christian. He gets the win, steals the car. And the night ends the way it started with Maven as the hardcore champion. And Christian having another temper tantrum. <laughs> I mean, it was cool that he was able to win a title in his hometown, even though that night he declared that wasn't his hometown anymore and that he was officially from Miami, Florida from that point forward. Right. Just to get with the crowd, which was cool. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure deep down it was all about, you know, he at least got to win a belt that's in some fashion on in his hometown. You know, it's funny that, uh, this is sort of the R truth. Uh, he's missing from this segment. You know? It's like twenty four seven. Twenty four seven rules are in in a, in place, but we have no R truth with his twenty four i ninety five twenty four seven eleven championship. <laughs> so, okay, match four: Kurt Angle versus Kane. Angle uh, would hit Kane with the ring bell before the match even started, and he suplexed the crap out of Kane in this match the whole match long. Angle would get a pin with his feet on the ropes in 10 minutes and 43 seconds. Meltzer, two and a quarter stars. John, I, I, I mean, I, I was just impressed with how much Angle threw Kane around. Yeah, I mean, the the worst part of the match was the finish because it was kind of a botched, you know, schoolboy roll-up type thing. But up until that point, it was just Kurt Angle putting on a clinic. And Kane is so underrated, man. Like, that. He's the one wrestler that I that I met at WrestleMania Access that year, and the, you know you could only get on one line because the lines were so long. And I, I chose Kane. And when I got to the front, you could basically only ask him one question, and I asked him how how much do you bench, and he said five hundred and twenty five pounds without even batting an eye. And with arms that long, with arms that long to bench five hundred and twenty five pounds is no joke. I know this. Uh, this guy over in AEW right now, Camarado, they, they boast that he benches six six and change. But wow. if his arms were as long as Kane's, he probably wouldn't be able to do that. So it's just so – Kane was a beast. He's the same height as Undertaker, but twice as jacked. He could fly off the top rope but didn't use it excessively because he knew who he was. He was a big man. But I've always thought that Kane would just got the short end of the stick because he was the other brother – in the Undertaker family or whatever. You know, he never really got a good run as champion until he was bald, see no evil, Kane. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, Kane, like you mentioned, he is underrated. Um, but he had had such a career with WWE. He's still on the active roster, even though he's mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee. So, um, you know, so yeah, you don't keep somebody around that long that's not incredibly talented and important. So he just never got the big run. But he did circle that made a picture a lot. So, yeah. Um, the fifth match we talked about in trivia: Undertaker versus Ric Flair. No disqualification. There was all kinds of storylines about uh, Ric Flair owning partial parts of the WWE with Vince McMahon before the match and everything like that. Um, we had American badass version of The Undertaker entering WrestleMania with a 9-0 record. Ric Flair got bloody. Arn Anderson hit a spine buster. Flair ultimately hit it, got a tombstone to take Taker to 10-0. The match went 18 minutes, 47 seconds, so one of the longer ones on the card Meltzer gave it three stars. What say you, John? I mean, it was a typical flare bloodbath, you know. By the end of it, he, you didn't see any blonde in his hair. Um, it was the closest you'll ever see The Undertaker to not being The Undertaker, like to being a normal guy. He he was selling like a whiny heel at one point. You know, he would use, you know, dirty tactics that he would never even use as a, as a heel, like as regular Undertaker, just because – that's not who he is. So it was it was cool to see Undertaker as something different than he ever really was before or after that. Um, Arn Anderson obviously got involved, but it didn't really matter. He got busted open immediately. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the last ride at the end was kind of a fail, so he just flipped them over into Tombstone, which I remember at the time was a really big deal because they were not letting him use the Tombstone for a little while, which is why he was doing the last ride to begin with. And I think I think because Flair couldn't get sat up in that in that last ride, Undertaker was just like screw it, flipped them over, dropped them on his head, and that was that. You know, it it's really interesting as you hear Ric Flair talk about this in the in the present day. Flair talks about how he had lost all his confidence in wrestling at the time, and you know this match with the Undertaker, um, you know, it's kind of what made him take notice, you know, Undertaker wanted to work with Flair. Um, and he was determined to get a good match out of Ric Flair. So, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a good match. I mean, not a classic, right? It wasn't best Undertaker match, not the best Flair match, but there they were. And, you know, if, if Undertaker's got 20 people on his list, or 22 or whatever it is now, having Ric Flair as one of them is, is a good, it's a good mark on the, on the books. So. Yeah, and anybody that likes Flair and Undertaker will really like this match. I mean, if you're just indifferent about them, yeah, maybe it wasn't that that you know great of a of a legends match. But if you're a big fan of the both of them, definitely go check it out. Yeah, Ric Flair come, you know, he normally comes to the ring, you know, all the pomp and circumstance and all that all that junk. Uh, not much on the steam, just in general pomp and circumstance, you know. And he walks down, you know, he's he's disrobing, and he gets in that ring, and he immediately runs right at the Undertaker. So it was kind of a hot start to the match. Not really something you would expect in this thing. Usually, you have, an, if you say the word Undertaker, you think, okay, long, slow start to the match. Uh, not the case here. It was a pretty hot start after Undertaker rode his bike down. So. Yeah, and Undertaker had beaten the crap out of Flair's son earlier in the in the feud, which is why I think there was so much, you know, animosity leading up to it and what, why they didn't start the match with a collar and elbow tie-up, you know? Right, yep. Um, match number six on the card, Booker T versus Edge. Um, I really liked this version of Edge's theme music. That was the first thing I noticed, like, when I was watching this match back. It wasn't the... Um, you think you know me, blah, blah, blah. It was this, like, oh, my Durango, blah, blah, blah <laughs> type of thing. It, it, was, it was different. It was Rob Zombie. Oh, it was, it? was Yeah, it was um, that, what is it? Uh, the name of uh, the entry, the Forcible Entry is yes. the name of the, the album that they were promoting. Yep. The Dudley's music that they used was on that. Um, Edge's music, even Triple H's music in the in the main event, were all off of that album. Okay, and I, I mean, I, I I enjoyed that. I thought that was a good. Uh, I thought it was it was a good entrance. Um, it was a short match though. Uh, Edge hit the execution in six thirty two to get the pin. 
Uh, probably a disappointment given the talent that was involved, right? So it's only a six-minute match with Booker T and Edge. That's kind of kind of sad. Hope you'd hope for more, I guess. Well, this was definitely the biggest win of Edge's career at the time. I mean, before then, he he wasn't. After that, it still took him a while to get to the main event. This was, you know, the beginning of his push, I would say, or the you know, not the very beginning, but to put the WCW top guy against Edge, it, it meant something. And to be for for him to take out Booker T, the five time, five time, five time, five time, five time champion was very good for his record. I just think Booker T's always gotten the short end of the stick when it comes to WWE. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But, you know, he's another one of those guys, you know, we say that, but he is still still employed there, still has a role. Um, they've kept him around all this time. He does the pre-shows now. Um, match seven, though, Scott Hall and Steve Austin. This is an interesting uh, set of affairs here. Meltzer would only give it a one star, nine minutes, 50 seconds. Um, the Observer noted that the finish was changed during the week leading up to Mania. Vince had made the call because so many people had lobbied him that Hall had become a liability of the company while Austin was going to remain a major player. Hall was said to be in bad condition the day of the show. So the idea would have been for Hall to win so you wouldn't beat the NWO on twice on the same card and so early in their NWO run. But for those reasons, um, the, the finish was changed, and it just wasn't meant to be. But, uh, John, what did you think of the match itself? Well, I almost have to agree with Uncle Dave on this one. There is no chemistry between these two. Um, I mean, they both know what they're doing, so they were able to put on a decent match. But it's a... Nothing really got you invested in it. You were just waiting for when Kevin Nash was going to get involved. And um, I wonder why Kevin Nash didn't have a, a, a match here. They, I've read some stuff where they didn't trust him in the fact where he's come up with injuries last minute when things weren't going to go his way storyline-wise. So I, he wasn't to be trusted in that regard. And then – Hall with his drunkenness at the time wasn't to be trusted with you know being able to show up in the future. So of course they had to have Austin win. I think Austin should have won either way. I, I it would have been interesting to see like if a if in a perfect world Hall and Nash were to win this match and the NWO were to keep going. But uh, I keep trying to call him Razor Ramon. Scott Hall was gone from the company within a couple months after this anyway because of his problems. So they had a lot of potential, Hogan versus – or Hogan, uh, Austin versus the NWO. It just it just didn't deliver. Well, it's interesting you, you uh, Freudian slipped with Hogan there because um, also, also of interest is that uh, Steve Austin actually did not want to work with Hulk Hogan, uh, which is what put The Rock in that spot, which was the better spot on the card – because um, The Rock was representing the future in the future versus past match. Um, but maybe ultimately it was better for Austin to not be in that match because The Rock really did get overshadowed by Hogan, and we'll, as we'll talk about in a little bit. So, um, yeah, I don't, I can't, I can't imagine the crowd turning on Austin the way they turned on Hogan, though, because yeah. as over as The Rock was, I just don't think that. Like everybody liked Austin, almost everybody liked The Rock, but they also hated The Rock for a while before that. Right. Everybody always liked Austin, so I just can't see a way that Hogan would end up overshadowing him. Maybe he would have though. The match wouldn't have been as good though. I don't think because I don't think their styles would have meshed very well either. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Before we get to to Rock Hogan. We have a four-corner elimination match for the WWF Tag Team Championships. Um, the Dudleys were facing Billy and Chuck versus the Hardys versus the APA. Billy and Chuck were defending. Uh, Dudley took out Bradshaw with a 3D. Hardy hit the twist of fate swanton on Bubba to eliminate uh, the Dudleys. When it gets out of the final four, it's mostly active talent. Uh, by active, I mean active today. You got Matt Hardy, Jeff Hardy, Billy Gunn. They're all still going. Uh, and then you have Chuck Palumbo, but Billy hit Jeff with a tag title to win the match in 1350. Um, 
what'd you think john of the, the tag title match was it just kind of there or was this like uh you know it was tag title matches um around that time with edge and christian and dudley's and matt hardy and jeff hardy they were getting really intense so this was kind of a different um different presentation for those those guys yeah yeah i would have liked to have seen this as a, a ladder match tlc type of thing even though the hardys weren't involved and there's other teams that never competed in those but to have a four team elimination match and only give it what'd you say 13 and a half minutes yeah 13. you know that that match should have been 20 minutes and then it could have been a good match but you you got to have everybody get all their stuff in and get all the finishes in to get to the end and it's just one big cluster bleep and um i mean it's it, it was cool to see these guys i mean when you see all these teams you figure billy and chuck aren't coming out with those titles Right. But Billy Gunn is a tag team specialist, so you know he's he is probably the best tag team wrestler of the eight guys in the match. So he's the one that got it done with a little chicanery with the uh, with the belt to the head. So I, I can't complain. Yeah, uh, you know, of interest to me in this match, you have Stacy Keebler uh, managing the Dudley Boys, and um, I think the portrayal of Stacy would not happen today. Um, it's just it just wouldn't fly, especially when they were showing the WrestleMania fan access where they had like a bust of Stacy's legs and her butt, but not her, like her face or anything. Like that's not like, something that fly today. And they showed it was, an up, it was an upskirt breast statue of just her <laughs> lower half. I have a, t a picture of me. I couldn't find the photo album. I was trying to get the photo album from when I went to this. There's a picture of me like this next to <laughs> Stacy's butt. And then even in the match, when she she gets on the apron, she turns around, she pulls herself up a wedgie to distract the the guy. I forget who she was distracting, but yeah, you know those are the kinds of things that I miss a little bit. But I, <laughs> I can get on, get by without it. Yeah, yeah. The other thing is that uh, Jeff Hardy did fine in the match, but he did look kind of like garbage. <laughs> like he was very pasty white. Um, of course, we know he's. All kinds of issues in the past. I'm not sure if anything was going on here, but he did fine in the match, though. I thought so. Yeah, when you look at the Hardy Boys, you could like Jeff did not age well compared to Matt. No. Like Jeff, Jeff clearly looks like the older brother now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this next one, this is kind of this next match is Hogan and Rock, and for everything that you know, I know there's matches that come next. But this, to me, is the defining match of WrestleMania 18. It's the main event. It probably should have gone on last, but but nobody ever would have thought that we would have seen it this way. So, um, do you have any initial thoughts going in? I have lots and lots of notes, so I want to I want to make sure you have your time to, you know, put it out there. Well, I I appreciate it more now after the fact. Um, I at the time I wasn't a big rock fan. I was pretty much anti-rock, just because of, I don't know. I think probably because I was such an Austin fan that I was like, you know, if people liked the Rock more than Austin, I'd be like, no, Austin's the man. You know, plus you know you're also in your, a teenager. But looking back on it, just the the raw energy that was surrounding this match before the bell even rang was out of control. It's not really something that sticks in my mind from being there, to be honest with you. So Hogan would tell National Hall to stay in the back. Um, he did this prior to prior to the match, prior to the video package. But when that video package played, and I watched this show yesterday, it brought me straight back to 2002. I remember those promos between Rock and Hogan. You know, Hogan was talking about he was happy to be back in WWF, but uh, he wished the fans didn't turn on him and drive him out of WWF. He he built this thing. You know, there'll never be a bigger star than Hulk Hogan. And then the, the Rock comes out, and it's, they loved you. They believed in you. The Rock believed in you. Um, and then that whole sequence of events ends with Hogan saying, good luck, you're going to need it. And The Rock says, not as much as you, brother. And hits the rock bottom. <laughs> I remember that so vividly from 2002 when that when that was being built. Um, so it took me that video package took me 
straight Mac. Not sure. Did you have similar similar uh, experience with that? Did you those promos were they like etched into your brain as well? Um, not so much because, like I said, you know, I wasn't that big on Rock and Hogan at the time. But I mean, I do remember the video package and just you know, it, it's it's a great way to get hyped up for the match because the match lives up to to how good the video package is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Meltzer would write that it was clear at fan access all week that Hogan was going to be cheered like crazy, but even then nobody expected um, how vociferous the boos for Rock were going to be. Uh, and, and as Hogan and Rock stood in the ring, uh, this is me talking, not Dave, they looked to the crowd, Rock was getting boos, Hogan was getting massive cheers, there were Hulk Hogan signs everywhere. And I and I I, I stopped the video to look. I saw Hulk rules. I saw Hulk Hogan. I saw all these signs for Hulk Hogan. There was nothing for The Rock. I mean, this crowd was very, very one-sided on this match. Um, so Hogan's playing playing the babyface amid ch chance of Rocky sucks. <laughs> they lock up. Hogan powers out and then poses in The Rock's face, you know, and the crowd is going crazy for Hulk Hogan. Um, and later in the match, the referee would go down. Rock had Hogan tapping to the sharpshooter, but no referee in sight. Hogan answered back with a low blow and Rock bottom, but the Rock kicked out. The Rock uh, would eventually nail Hulk Hogan with the Rock bottom, but Hogan kicked out. And in true Hulkamania fashion, he hulks up, he waves the finger, Hogan lands three consecutive punches as the crowd calls out one, two, three. Hogan throws the rock off the ropes, races the giant leg in the air, nails Hogan with the big boot, bounces off the ropes, drops the famous leg drop. The referee counts one. Jim Ross screams out, he beat Andre the Giant with that move. The referee strikes the mat a second time, and the referee's hand comes down from third and final count but the rock kicked out. It was just an air fall. Incredible like moments there. Uh, moments later, the rock would hit the two rock bottoms, get the one, two, three on, on Hogan. Um, it was not an athletic contest of any, you know, it was no spectacle there, but it was showmanship. It was electric. It was unpredictable and one of the best moments in modern wrestling, I think. And I think that false finish might be the best false finish of all time where with the big bootleg drop. But, uh, I mean, the crowd definitely turned this match 180. They did not go into into this match, I think, thinking that Rock was going to be playing the heel. I think that, you know, they were, they were expecting a 50-50 response, but Rock would still end up, you know, getting cheered enough. But he, when people were booing him, he started yelling at the crowd, and then they, they picked it up even more, and, he it was it was a glimpse of you know 1998 99 Rocky that just didn't give a crap and would do whatever he wants and yell at the crowd and spit in his hand and slap you and not to be funny but just to be just to insult you you know I think it really speaks to the intelligence of both these guys because they were able to orchestrate this in such a way where when they when they found out what was happening and how one-sided it was, they immediately switched characters and did the things that they needed to do to get, to like emphasize the reaction they were already getting. Like, you know, when they did that lockup, this is right in the beginning of the match, they did that lockup and Hogan shoves the rock down and then he poses. That was all to get a big reaction, family, uh, baby face reaction out of the crowd. And that was happening in the first like minute and a half of the match. Um, you know, so... Yeah, this, okay. this is the type of this is the type of match that I would tell these little flipsters of nowadays to go back and watch because you really all you need to do is punch and kick each other to have a good match as long as you know what you're doing. Yeah, you know, and like look at Austin. Austin never had any moves in his arsenal. He might throw out like a basic suplex, but other than that, it was just brawling. Because he knew how to tell a story in the ring, it wasn't. They didn't have to make up for the storytelling with flips and you know blood. It's one of those things, like um, you know, I, in the same uh, set of articles I was reading from the Observer, 
Jim Duggan was super over in the eighties and uh, in mid South wrestling, like super, super over. And then, you know, his matches are considered classics. You go back and watch them. It's Duggan. I mean, the guy punches and kicks. He really doesn't do anything else. So to your point there. Yeah. Um, now the rock has a little bit more versatile of, a, of an offense, but um, not Hogan. Hogan has a five move guy, right? I mean, it's always punch, kick, boot, yeah. leg drop. You know, and the body slam if Andre's in there. But uh, Hogan and Rock, they shook hands after the match. That didn't sit well with Hall and Nash, so they would attack Hogan uh, until The Rock made the save. And Hogan's about to leave, and The Rock forced him back. WrestleMania 18 crowd would be treated to the experience of seeing Hulk Hogan pose. We didn't get real American, but the presence of Hulkamania was there, was reborn. The star of the 18th version of WrestleMania was, in fact, the star of the first nine, to quote Dave Meltzer. Uh, it was it was a great great match, and from all that, you know, the the drama is the drama is what we're talking about, really. How many stars did Uncle Dave give this match? Interesting about this. Meltzer was cautious about the rating, thinking the match was going to be great was great live, but it wouldn't hold up over time. So we only gave the match three stars, but of all things, uh, this this is probably one of the top WrestleMania matches out there. And I would put this up against the storytelling and the drama, and the ability to change on the fly. Put this up against any other WrestleMania match that's out there. And this is and this is why, yeah. And this is why I don't give any merit to what Dave Meltzer or pretty much anybody else says on the internet. Because people will be biased, people like their guy, people, you know, Kenny Omega, 25 star everything because it's Kenny Omega. But, you know, this, if there, if the scale literally only goes one to five and you can't go more than five, this is five. There's no, there's no better wrestling spectacle to have ever happened. Maybe, maybe the, the Andre and Hogan thing back in the 80s. But that was more in the in the era of like we believe it's real still. Yeah. But yeah. you know, once once the attitude era started or whatever, like this is the match in my opinion. Right. Yeah, I can't I can't argue that. I can't argue that. So another interesting tidbit though, in, in historical stance, and I'm reading directly from the observer again here. But the day before the show, Vince McMahon changed plans for the match and had Hogan take the WWF jet from Toronto back to Tampa to pick up a lot of his collection for photos and videos as well as his red and yellow outfits hogan didn't, wouldn't get back to toronto until 2 a.m the night the night before the day of the show um mcmahon wanted hogan to come out in the red and yellow in montreal post turn the turn itself was already going to happen it was evident hogan as a heel was like austin flair's heels they just result in people not wanting to pay to see them because people don't want to pay to boo the people they like just before Raw in Montreal, McMahon was talked out of it, apparently with the feeling that Hogan in black, but not NWO black, represents a newer, cooler version of Hogan than the red and yellow, which constitute a nostalgia that will get over huge quickly, but won't, will also die relatively quickly. So as the red and yellow, uh, as that worked out in WCW. So it was interesting. McMahon sends Hogan home to get his red and yellow stuff because they're planning on him wearing red and yellow on Raw the night after. And it never kind of works out, but um, I, I think that was a good decision by Vince, though, to, to do the the black and yes. have him come out to um, Jimi Hendrix, and yeah. you know, the, it was it was the next evolution of Hogan, and then we got the nostalgia when you know he was on his way out of the company. Right, right. I think uh, I think if I'm right, 19 was Hogan versus McMahon, and it Pretty was sure. yellow Hogan. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think Hogan was at 20, was he? Uh, I can't recall. I'll be doing the WrestleMania 20 show pretty soon, so I'll let you know. Yeah, but, I'm pretty uh, sure he wasn't there. Um, believe it or not, as great as that match was, it's not the end of the show. We still have two more matches, and I feel terrible that Jazz, Lita, and Trish had to follow yeah, wasn't this one of uh, Al Carl's top 30 WrestleMania matches of all time? 
it's, it's as, as memorable there as it is here. <laughs> yeah, right? No, I mean, it really was kind of unmemorable. Um, what a standard short match. Nobody can follow Rock Hogan. That's all I wrote. Yeah. Six minutes, 16 seconds. Meltzer gave it a, a one star. Crowd was completely dead after the roller coaster in the preceding match. Uh, Jazz hit a fisherman suplex um, to retain. So, uh, final match tonight was for the undisputed champion Chris Jericho as champion coming into the match, defending against the Royal Rumble winner Triple H. Uh, big return for Triple H. The story of the match was Hunter selling his quad. Apparently, it was fragile and holding on by just a thread. Stephanie McMahon was there on the Jericho side of the equation. In the end, uh, Hunter hits a pedigree on Stephanie, a pedigree to Jericho, and Triple H wins the Undisputed Championship in 1841. Three stars from Dave Meltzer. Oh, no. Yeah, this match had some really good psychology to it. Um, you know, it was it was a very great – it was a great match. It was much unlike the Rock Hogan because it was more – it was more like storyline and Stephanie driven. It was, you know, there was an interference by the manager and there was – you know, the, the history between Triple H and Steph. And, um, you know, th this is the whole reason I went to Toronto in the first place because I've been a Triple H guy since Hunter Hearst Helmsley. So I knew once he won the Rumble that he, he was going to be winning this match and I needed to be there for it. I, when he won the titles, he went up to the second rope and he did his pose with the two belts. I pushed my way up like 25 rows. I was on the floor, but I was about – 45 rows back on the aisle and I've got myself all the way to the front. I, with my disposable camera, <laughs> threw it up in the air, took a few shots, hope to God that something came out right. And even to this day, I have the, the picture hanging up on my wall in my bedroom. Oh. It's, it's not a very high quality picture, but it's a picture I took, which is why I love it so much. Right. 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 Oh, that's interesting. So it was this. It was this was the match that drew you to Montreal or to Toronto, put you in a train for eighteen hours. Incredible. Yeah, and then it ended up being where I got to see Hogan and Rock make history at the same time. That's right. Yep. So the main question after all of this, without we put this, we've done justice to the show. We've run through everything. Um, does this WrestleMania hold up? Watching it back. I think it holds up more now than it did back then, to be honest with you, because there were a lot of short matches, but um, I, I think it was necessary at the time because they didn't have the leeway they have now with the seven-hour shows. Uh -huh. You know, they had to they had to get it all in in four hours. Um, they, they they should have maybe cut a couple of the matches. I, I don't know what you would cut. Um, I mean, after the fact, I maybe maybe not do so much with the hardcore title. Yeah. Um, maybe not have the hardcore title match, just do it all backstage. That would have saved you, you know, probably 15 minutes where you could have dispersed it through some of the matches. Um, but I mean, looking back at it, it's you look at everybody, there's three people that aren't going to be Hall of Famers, and it's Maven, Chuck Palumbo, and possibly Jazz, right? And I don't even think that's the case because Jazz will probably make the, make the Hall of Fame. So you got probably the most stacked card you'll ever see at a WrestleMania as far as Hall of Famers is concerned. And more so, this was more of just a celebration of WWF's victory over WCW, in my opinion. Because you yeah. got you got the NWO all losing. You got Booker T losing to Mid-Carter. You got, yeah, sure, DDP retained his championship, but DDP was the main eventer, and he's on your – tertiary championship match right defending against you know the hometown guy that the the match was more about christian than it was about ddp so that's the way i i look at it is you know the attitude or the the war between wcw and wwf ended at like a few like almost a year before this but this was like the end of the ripple effect of everything this is where like WrestleMania 17, WW, WCW still existed. WrestleMania 18, it's we killed WCW, watch us kill their guys. Yeah. yeah. I think that what I would say is this show had that classic match. And that classic match 
between Hogan and Rock was all storytelling. There was no crazy cool moves. You know, Hogan didn't do a, a corkscrew plancha <laughs> off the top rope or anything. Um, neither did The Rock. It was just really, really solid storytelling. And solid storytelling still works today without really cool moves. And so for nothing, if nothing else, if you took away everything else, they're just there to kind of like fill out the card. That match holds up today. And I think for that reason, this WrestleMania holds up today as well. And when you have a guy like Rob Van Dam opening the show, doing cool moves and stuff, that's, that is today's style, right? So like, you know, you had enough mixture, you even had the hardcore championship, which God, it must hold up today. We still got that basically. So, um, so yeah, I think this one holds up. Um, so yeah, this was on. like the glory. This was the glory days of wrestling, in my opinion. And it's like, it, this is when wrestling was mainstream. It was popular. It wasn't stupid to be a wrestling fan like it is now, or like it was back in the in the early nineties. Um, you know, people don't look didn't look down on you as a wrestling fan. Like, look look at all they, there was two bands, Drowning Pool and Saliva, in there. They were promoting a a, a rock and roll CD that had all names on it. It wasn't there were no there were no uh, bands that weren't somebody at the time. You know, it was just a celebration of everything that happened for the past five years leading up to that. Yeah, and somewhere between sixty eight thousand two hundred thirty one and sixty eight thousand two hundred thirty seven people watched the show live. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it had to be great, um, and it was great. And this has been basically a celebration of you know looking back, watching that show, loving that show, um, and loving the storytelling that went with it. So, with that said. John, anything else before we we part? Uh, no, I think we covered everything, man. That was a lot of fun. Absolutely. All right, folks. We'll be back soon with either another episode of the Dale & Wrestling News Show in proper format, or you might get another one of these episodes in your feed uh, tomorrow. So stay tuned. Thanks, everybody.